0: Amen. It's good to be in God's house and in His presence, worshiping together with all of you. Amen. God is good, church. God is good. and uh, <clears throat> We've been going through the book of Ephesians. It feels like forever, but it's only been a little while. But I love the book of Ephesians, and we're nearing the end. So I don't know if you're excited to go on to something else. But before Christmas, we were looking at the armor of God. The believer's armor that was laid out for us by the Holy Spirit through the writing of Paul. In Ephesians chapter 6, and as we looked through Ephesians, we saw the first three chapters that were dealing more to do with doctrine and, and our standing as Christians. And who we are in Christ and explaining all that we are is because of whom we are in Christ. In Christ, that was the key. And of course, from chapter 4 onwards, he gives us, it gets into the more practical stuff on how to live Christian life. About Christian living and living in a way worthy of our calling as believers. And he talked about walking in the Spirit and manifesting the power of the Spirit in our everyday lives. Not just for the time we are gathered together in church. No, it's in our everyday lives, living by the Spirit of God. And as he comes to the end of this book, and as he comes to the end of this letter in chapter 6, he talks about walking in this way. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this walk that, he, that is so demanding. You cannot do it, and we cannot do it in our own strength. And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read through real quick the verses 10 all the way through 17. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so as he begins this section, he he kind of makes it real clear that, To walk the life that he has been talking about from chapter 4 onwards. You can't do it on our own. And so in verse 6, I mean chapter 6 verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In the strength of his might. You're not going to live the way that honors God and the way that he's talking about worthy living. I mean walking the worthy walk, experiencing the fullness of the spirit and the blessings that come along with that. In our own strength. We cannot do it in our own strength. You know if you want to do that. You're going to fail miserably. And so what we need is the strength. From the Lord. Amen. The strength from the Lord. That's the only way we can make it. And to help us with that. He uses the analogy of a Roman soldier. And uh, everybody around him. in that At that time frame. Were familiar with the whole idea. Of a soldier. And. He having first-hand experience because he's chained to one 24-7, correct? And so he uses the analogy and makes the spiritual connection. And he says, if you want to live a successful Christian life, you have to, uh, you do it in the strength of the Lord. And then you put on, in verse 11, he says, you put on the full armor of God. The ideas of the soldier right there. And then he goes to verse 12. Why do we need this armor? Why do we need the Lord's strength? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers and powers and and these forces of this darkness. And against spiritual forces in heavenly realms. That's why we need the Lord's strength. That's why we need the armor. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We engage in a spiritual battle. I mean I have not and I don't think, I don't know. I've never met someone who's fought. The devil hand to hand, you know, in literal combat. No. But each one of us, when we come to Christ, we are enrolled in this battle and where we fight this battle every single day in the spiritual realm. We fight an unseen enemy, church. But who is real and influence and has the ability to influence lives. And so against these invisible enemy, how do we defend ourselves? Again, the analogy of the armor, it's a spiritual battle. And so there's a spiritual element to all parts of this armor. And verse 13, he says to resist the day of evil and so that we'll be able to stand firm. And from verse 14, he goes on to break down the parts of the armor, which is basically parts of our spiritual armor, the belt of truth. The belt of truth or truthfulness and we talked about the idea of commitment and motivation to obey what God has to do. The commitment and the desire, the idea of the belt of truth is to tuck in the loose flowing parts of their tunic. To tuck in the loose ends so that the guy is ready to go to battle when he has to do it. Not, not, I mean, not loose flowing garments which will interfere with his battle. No, he's got his belt of truth which is readiness. It's that commitment to fight the battle. And then he says the breastplate of righteousness. And here we talked about it's more than just the righteousness that comes from Christ. It's talking about personal righteousness and the commitment to living a holy life. The breastplate of righteousness. And then we talked about the feet or Paul talks about the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the idea there is this that anchors you. It's what anchors each one of us. The fact that we have peace with God. That's what keeps us grounded. That's what keeps our feet firmly planted. That God is on our side. God is our defender. God is our protector. And it's in that confidence that we stand strong. Again, remember the idea is that we are taking ground into enemy territory. And as the enemy comes against us, now we don't give up what we have already conquered. And we stand strong because we have peace with God. the shoes, that is the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And now on top of all these things, now he says what? Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith and it's the one thing that helps us quench or extinguish the flaming arrows that the devil or Satan sends at us. The fact that you shield yourself from the enemy tells us that he is aggressively trying to take us out. That's why we have the shield of faith and the whole idea of the shield here is are we either believing God or are we believing the enemy? Because if we believe what the enemy sells us, our shields are going to be down. But if we believe what God tells us, that's when we got our shields to prevent that from happening. Believing the lie that the enemy, the deception or, or the doubt and the fear and, and sin itself. How do we do that? By believing what God tells us to do. And that's what the shield of faith is all about. Even though it doesn't always make perfect sense to us, that's what faith is all about. The shield of faith. Let me put it this way and I wrote this down. It's your faith in the word of God that protects you from believing believing Satan's lies and deceptions. Is that the shield of faith? The shield of faith. And that of course brings us now to the fifth piece of armor that I want to deal with. The fifth and the sixth piece of armor. And it opens up kind of a doctrinal position for us actually. In verse 17 it starts by saying, Now take... The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, Roman soldiers just historically, they wore helmets because they knew... You know, a, 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 a blow to the chest area, they had that protected, kind of protected. And a blow to the head would definitely be fatal too. And so they took, t- they took whatever leather, most often it was leather, and then metal hammered on top of that or uh, attached to that. And, you know, sometimes custom made or whatever. Because that prevented that blow or more or less deflected the blow aimed for the head. And so they all wore a helmet, the helmet of salvation. The helmet had one purpose, protect the head, the helmet of salvation. And I know some people and I've heard people say this, you know, the helmet of salvation. You don't want to go into this battle unless you are saved, right? But that doesn't make sense really because you're not going to be in a battle in this battle if you're not saved in the first place already, right? So it's not really talking about. That part about being saved, going into battle, being saved. But it's more, to understand this, I think we need to turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 to give us a better idea of what Paul says about this. And explains this helmet a little bit. Because it's not, definitely not, we need to understand, it's not talking about past salvation at all. We have been saved and because we are saved, we are in this battle. And now that we are in this battle, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And so First Thessalonians 5 and verse 8 1st Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation. The hope of salvation and what Paul is referring to here when he talks about the helmet of salvation, he's talking about a future salvation. It's a future salvation and this is what the doctrinal part that comes up here, that's something that we need to understand. We need to know for sure and and as evangelicals we understand salvation has these three aspects to it. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. There has to be these three elements to salvation, how we understand it. If you want to call it, it's that past salvation, and of course we use the theological term justification, where we are free from the penalty of sin. That's the first part. That's past salvation. And then we have, of course, present salvation in which we are being saved. We use the phrase, the word sanctification, where we are now being set free from the power of sin. And then we look forward to a future salvation. The word we use is glorification, where we'll, we are set free from the presence of sin itself. That's our understanding of salvation. It's in these three aspects past. We justified from the penalty of sin. In the present we are sanctified overcoming the power of sin. And finally we will be glorified in God's presence where we will be totally away from the presence of sin. That's the three aspects of salvation he's talking about. And what Paul is talking about right here is as we put on this hope of salvation. It's the future salvation that he's talking about right there. It's about the confidence, church. It's the confidence and the assurance that God is able to finish what he has started in our lives. Amen. That's the future salvation you're talking about. The confidence and assurance in, yes, all three aspects of salvation And I know the doctrinal phrase of we use the eternal security and we have to be careful when we use that and understand that a little better. Because I don't wholeheartedly subscribe to the one saved always saved because we need to understand what salvation really means. What does it mean to be saved and please don't ever and we've talked about this before if you've. Heard me preach, don't reduce salvation to repeat after me the sinner's prayer and that's it. You're saved, you, you know. We, I don't know, somehow we were brought up with that understanding. I know a lot of people who are not Christians who said that prayer several times but still do their own thing. Yeah. I'm not going to sit and judge whether they're saved or not saved. But we need to have a better understanding of what it needs to be saved. Don't just reduce it to, oh, how many people raised their hand and said the sinner's prayer. It's way more than just that. So again, I'm not promoting the once saved, always saved idea. But we need to understand that we have an assurance and confidence in salvation. Because the Bible says when he begins something, when he starts that good work in you, he is what? Faithful to bring it to completion. What's the whole idea of nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, love of God, right? Because we are in Christ, And so we need to really balance these things together. We sing that hymn, you know. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. There is this confidence. There is this assurance. Just as he saved me before, he's in the process of sanctification right now. He will finally save me too. There is this idea of glorification. How can I fight a battle if I'm in constant fear of losing my salvation? I mean, how invested would you be in something if you knew you were going to lose it like that? It doesn't make sense. Balance it out, church. Again, not pushing one side or the other. But we've got to get over the, what I say, the erroneous theology where one slip up and I'm, he's waiting to cast me out of heaven. It's not going to happen. Somehow God is going to zap us every time we make a mistake. I don't think we understand the whole concept of grace if we think like that. We don't understand God's love and we don't understand. We really underestimate his power that is working within us. When we think we're just going to lose it like that. And so he's saying, now be confident. That's what we put. Don't let the devil mess with your head. When he says, hey, you messed up, you're gone. No, the, the devil always wants to tell us that we are not good enough for God. We will never be good enough for God. But thank goodness for Jesus Christ. And when we are in him. That's what it's all about. Our confidence is in Christ and what He has done. That's the assurance of salvation. Not what I can do to earn my way. But because of what He has done, I have a way, a secure future. We talk about this. My future is secure. And that's what Paul is saying. As you fight this fight, put on that helmet of salvation. Because your future is secure in Christ. Put on the helmet of salvation. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, I might lose some. I might stumble and fall. But I know in this end, I will be more than a conqueror. Because of, not what I do, because of what Christ has done. Amen. Understand, that's part of salvation too. The helmet of salvation is the absolute confidence in God's promises the absolute confidence that he's got me he's got me the helmet of salvation it's the idea your future is secure and it protects you against the blows the the doubts that the enemy brings against us that we are unworthy we're not good enough you know god isn't going to bless you you know and there's something you're just an unworthy sinner it doesn't really matter anymore Put on that helmet of salvation because we are in Christ. Our future is secure. Our future is secure. The helmet of salvation. It's the confidence and the assurance of eternal life that we get to enjoy when we are in Christ. The helmet of salvation. And then he goes on in verse 17. This is what I want to spend a little more time on here. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Many of us are familiar with this. The sword of the spirit. There is so much to say about this really. The word of God. We all possess it. The word of God. The sword of the spirit. But how many of us really fail to pick it up and use it? The Bible is the sword. But it's nothing if you just own it and don't use it. The sword of the spirit. And my purpose today is not to prove that the Bible is the word of God or why the Bible is true. It's not that kind of apologetics kind of thing. I just want to lay out what the Bible says about the word of God. What the Bible teaches. It is the Word of God and if we are going to use it effectively, church, we need to know what it says, what it is and what it says. Cause here's the here's the truth. If we question the the accuracy or the Validity, validity, whatever you say, of the word of God. We will never enter into a battle with confidence. We will never use it if we don't have confidence in it. We'll never ever use it if we don't have absolute confidence in it. If you go into battle and you don't have confidence in your weapon, you're more likely to run and hide than you use it. And we are in a battle. And we need to be confident about what we have. Excuse me. Just a few things, a few things that I want to go over When it comes to the nature of scripture, the Bible, we use the word infallible. The word of God, it is infallible. And what we mean by that, it it affirms, or whatever it affirms is true. That's what it means to be infallible, that it is without error. It claims it again and again and again. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. John 10.35, the scripture cannot be broken. Psalm 119.140, it says, your word is pure. So the Bible is inerrant. It affirms in all that it affirms. It's inerrant in all that it affirms in all that it teaches because it is perfect. It's infallible, it is also complete. Revelation 22, 18, 19, we know the the verse. It says what? Don't take anything away from it, don't add anything to it. It is perfect. There's no new revelation that we need that needs to be added to the scripture. No, it is complete. It's infallible, it's complete, and we also need to understand that this is the authority when it comes to God's word or the word of God. This is the authority. It is the ultimate authority. There is nothing above this. No matter how spiritual the person is and how much he speaks and hears God, it does not supersede the Word of God. This is the ultimate authority. It is infallible, it's complete, it is authoritative, it is also sufficient. It is sufficient. It is not just sufficient to save us, it is more than sufficient, more than enough to help us live victorious Christian lives as well. It is infallible, complete, it is the final, ultimate authority, it's sufficient, and I want to add this, it is effective too. It is effective. Yes, it's sufficient to minister to me, but it's effective because it can effectively minister through me to others as well. It is effective, effective to impact people's lives, which brings me to this point. It is powerful because nothing can stand against it. When it goes out, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the things which God intends for it to accomplish. It has stirred the test of time. People have tried to dissect it. People have tried to discredit it. People have tried to destroy it. Yet it still stands today. And it is our most formidable weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare. You can add more to this, I know. It's kind of interesting because the Old Testament writers refer, as they wrote this, to the word of God 3,800 times. Refers to this as the word of, what they wrote to the, as the word of God 3,800 times. The New Testament writers refer to the Old Testament as the word of God three hundred over two, 320 times. They quote the Old Testament more than a thousand times. That tells you the nature of scripture. It's infallible. It's perfect. It's complete. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. It's effective. It's powerful. But what does that really mean for us? What does that really mean for us? It means one, it is the source and the only source of truth. It is the only reliable source for truth. It brings people to a knowledge of the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is the truth. It is the only reliable source for truth, church. In a world which gives us so much stuff. If we want to know the truth, here is the truth. It's a reliable source for the truth. Yes, it's a reliable source for the truth. But it's also the only source for genuine happiness. The Bible uses the biblical word, blessedness. It is really the only genuine the only source for genuine happiness or blessedness. Luke eleven twenty eight, it says, blessed are they who hear the word of God and obey it. You want to enjoy the blessings of God? That's why we have the word of God. It is the source of truth. It is the only ge- source of genuine happiness. It is also the only source for spiritual growth because it is a dependable guide that leads us. We know that scripture. Your word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is dependable. A dependable guide. When we look in for a way, it will guide us. It tells us or shows us the the truth. It gives us genuine, creates genuine happiness and blessedness. It also shows us the way we need to go. It also provides comfort. It gives us strength. There's so much we can keep going on. That's the word of God. That's why it's important to us. It's inherent. It's incomplete. It's powerful. It's powerful, church. Now we're looking at scripture from a broader perspective. But let's go back to what Paul is saying. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And now we understand the sword as a weapon. But we need to understand it's both an offensive as well as defensive weapon. And if you talk to people who are experts with medieval weaponry, they'll tell you the sword was used mainly, not mainly, mostly as defensive than strike. You use it more to deflect or defend yourself rather than to strike a blow. And so we got to consider both aspects of the weapon the weapon, which is, again, it is offensive, but it's also defensive. The word uh, is makaira, which is common, very common Greek word, used a number of times in the Bible. Refers to a smaller sword, probably a foot to 18 inches long. With one hand, that's the kind of sword they came, uh, when they came to arrest Jesus, that's a sword that Peter pulls out and you know from that guy and strikes his ear off. It's the same thing, same idea. It was used, very common, everybody understood that. In Matthew 24, that's where he cuts off Malchus's ear, that's the word. Malchus's ear. So this is machaira. Yeah, and people, you can understand it, it's more like the sidearm that never leaves you. Okay, you have, it's different from the bigger, sort of, forget what the name is, that was two, three feet long, That I mean three or four feet long that you used with both hands. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about hand-to-hand combat, a sidearm that you carried, the machaira. And Paul says that is the sword of the spirit. And understand, it's a spiritual, because it's a spirit, it is a spiritual weapon we're talking about right here. And I think it is given to us by the spirit itself. It is given to us by the spirit. It's a spiritual weapon because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight in the spiritual dimension. So we need a spiritual weapon to fight the enemy. Now, it may be a small weapon, but it's also a powerful weapon because with it, we tear down strongholds. We tear down strongholds. You know, everything that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. Again, it's, it's just amazing. It just circles right back up. This is the truth. Anything that sets itself up, doesn't matter how nice it sounds, whatever the viewpoint is, whatever the philosophy is, whatever the religion it is. If it sets itself up against the word of God, against the knowledge of God, we use the word of God to tear that down. So it is powerful. Church, the only thing that tears down something that stands against the knowledge of God is the word of God. Is the word of God. Doesn't matter how nice it sounds church. We use the word of God. It's a powerful weapon. But it's also again like I said. It's a defensive weapon as well. Our best defense is our knowledge of the truth. Our best defense is the knowledge of the truth. Again we're talking about the word of God. does no good, like I said, to own a Bible if you don't ever read it. If you don't ever know what it's all about. As I was preparing, I was thinking about it. Because I've seen these cartoons. You know, when you have a small sword, I've seen some of these people. They just go swing it the whole time. How effective is it? Zero. When you're using a small sword, it's about precision. That's why we need to know God's word. You can't just take this Bible and swing it in front of the enemy. and That's nothing going to happen. It's about precision. Knowing. That's why the knowledge is important when it comes to scripture. You know. Satan doesn't want us to know what the word of God says. And very often he lets us read such nice good books and everything else. You know he lets us do everything. Just don't read the word of God. We need to read and know the word of God. And it's interesting when he says the word of God, he doesn't use logos, which is used commonly. He uses Rema or Rema, however you want to say it. The Rema word, which is more about spoken word, but more about it's more in line with the specific utterance that you have to make. It's about precision. Precision. And that's what it's about when you know your weapon, it's a small weapon. You don't waste your energy to swing it all over the place. No, you wait, you defend, 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 and then you see an opportunity and then you make that precise cut against it. That's why we know the word of God. Precise, when the enemy comes and attacks us in a particular area, we speak and use the Rema or the word, the specific statements from scripture that relate to that area that he's attacking us in. That's what we do. Second Timothy 2 says, Be diligent, diligent to be approved of God. Workmen that, are not, that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's the last piece of armor, church. Yet it is the most effective piece that we have. Not saying one is more important than the other. I'm not saying that at all. Yet this is the most effective. Especially when it comes to defense. It is the most effective weapon we have. And defending ourselves requires us to know the scripture or search the scripture. Search the scripture. What is it saying? What is it saying? First of all, we need to know what it is saying. Why it is saying and how to use it. How do we search scripture for practical, practical things that I have this morning? Now, it may sound pretty basic, but number one is read it. Read it. I'm not going to tell you how much time you need to spend to read it. Just read it. That's the first basic step. And the second one, second practical point flows from the first. When you read it, seek to understand what it's saying. You need to seek to understand. Look for an interpretation, the correct interpretation of what it is saying. Now, do I understand everything it says? You know, am I supposed to get everything? No, I'm never going to get everything. But I seek to understand what the word is saying. I know when I was younger, I don't see that much right now. But it was that craze to read the Bible in one year. And then they give you a certificate. And I got caught up in that craze and everything else. Now, I don't do that much anymore. I, I rarely read. I should not rarely. I never. I should say that. I never read the Bible without trying to understand what it's saying. I just don't read it to put a check in like, hey, let's go. I don't do that anymore. But we've got to really understand and try our best to try and make, let me put it this way. Make an earnest effort to understand what you are reading. Because without understanding, you can't have any effect. Make every effort to interpret, find an application for what I'm reading. Whether it's, you know, comparing scripture to another portion of scripture or getting a good commentary, you know. Whatever. Helps me to understand what the word of God is going and please resist the urge to look for that secret meaning that's been hidden for years and now you got it. You know if you go in with that attitude you'll find something that is not really in there. But read the scripture, earnestly seek to understand it the second thing, the third thing that I have is yes. Read it. Seek an interpretation or understanding. And thirdly, meditate on it. Chew on it. Meditate on the Bible. Sit back. Think about it. Because when I do that, it sinks in a little better. It soaks into my life. Sinks into my life. It settles in. And very often, when it settles in, it just blows my mind away. It's not because there's something new. There's something grand. No, it just, I get it. Because I meditate on it. It gets me all pumped up and everything else. But the main point of meditating on God's word is it gives us ways in which we can apply what we have read. We read, we try and seek an understanding, but then we also look to apply it. And so we meditate on it. Read it, interpret, meditate. And fourthly, and I think this is important, it's teach it. Teach it. Because I think it may be the most helpful way. Is to teach it just from my own experience. You're going to hold on to something that you give away. You're going to hold on to something that you give away. What you give away, you will retain. Find a group of pe- people, even if it's it kids, to teach scripture to, because you'll remember it better. It is effective, church. And we've got to learn to be capable of using such an effective weapon. Read it. Seek earnestly to understand it. Meditate on it as you look to apply it. And then teach it. So that people will know. And in doing so, you yourself are blessed. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And if you have to really look at it. If you look at every piece, ultimately it does come to this. It's being able to use the word of God effectively. It covers all six of these parts. It's the ability to effectively use the word of God. That's our armor. That's the armor. And Even as I wrap this up this morning, I want us to consider Christ. Because becoming like Christ is our goal. And so becoming like Christ is our goal. He is the pattern and the model we have to follow. And we know this in defending himself against the enemy in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. What does he use? The word of God. The word of God. Tempted in the wilderness, you know, Satan comes to him and he says, Hey, if you're the son of God, command all these stones to become bread. What's the temptation there? To obey God. I mean, to obey, to disobey God says hey why should you be hungry you're the son of god why should you be hungry just make this you know make this into bread so that you know so you you shouldn't be hungry you're the son of god the temptation there was to disobey god and what does he say no man should not live by what bread alone but by every word right that comes from god of course he's using deuteronomy right there Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, I do what God tells me to do, nothing else. That's what he was saying. And again, he says, what? If you go up, you know, throw yourself down from the top of this uh, temple, you know. Doesn't there a promise in the Old Testament that says your angels would protect you? And then what does he say? On the other hand, what? Don't put the Lord to the test. Don't put the Lord to the test. And then again, he takes him to this highest part in the town. And he shows him all the kingdoms of this world and he says, hey, just bow down and worship me and I'll give it to you. Because that's the goal, right? That's the ultimate goal. So why do you want to, sow through the cross, just worship me and I'll give it to you? Right? That's the temptation right there. Why suffer in order to receive what God has already planned? That's the temptation we all face. And then what does he say? Hey, get away from me. Because it's written what? We worship God and serve him only specific to, precise to what the temptation is. But if we don't know the schemes of the enemy, if we don't know, sorry, if we don't know God's word, we will not know how to effectively combat what he throws at us. Christ was fully armed against Satan because he effectively used, wielded the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we are going to win. That's how we are going to win, use precise, exact tests, a uh, text to pass that test. Amen. Church, live that Christian life. It's about becoming more like Christ. Amen. And knowing God's word is the only way we can become more like him. Take on. Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This morning, the encouragement is to fight with everything you've got. Because you've got to fight with confidence and assurance of your salvation. That God is not looking for an excuse to just throw you away. No, he has the confidence that when he starts something, he will finish it. That nothing can separate you from his love. Because you are in Christ. Yes, We might stumble, we might fall, but our future is secure because God's got us. That's the helmet of salvation. And remember, the knowledge of the word is the most effective weapon against the enemy. Put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Bow your heads with me this morning. Church, the battle is real. It's not a uh, some <clears throat> some Lord of the Rings kind of idea here. That's just in fantasy land. No, it's not at all. It's a real battle. But it is a spiritual battle. We battle something that we don't see. And we cannot fight something in the spiritual realm. In the natural. With natural resources. That's why he tells us to put on the armor of God. Because that's when we fight in his strength and not ours. Put on the armor of God. Because that's how we will be able to take our stand against the enemy put on the armor of God thank you Father once again thank you God once again Lord for this for inspiring Paul to write this Lord the belt of truth it's that commitment to the battle you're in it to win it We committed to the battle because that's what the belt of truth is all about. Total commitment to the battle. The breastplate of righteousness. It's a commitment to living and pursuing righteous living in terms of holy living. With our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That's what gives us a firm footing. Is that we have peace with God. Because we are in Christ. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with which which we can extinguish the flaming arrows the devil throws at us. And then take the helmet of salvation, knowing that yes, we might stumble and fall. we We might lose a few battles, but we will ultimately be more than conquerors because we are in Christ. We fight with confidence with the assurance that God has got us. And then we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There is no substitute for a knowledge of the Word of God. It is our most effective weapon, both on defense and in offense. It is the most effective thing in a spiritual battle. Please... Don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not a battle anymore. It is a real battle and the only way you can do it is by putting on the armor of God and using the most formidable weapon ever, which is the Word of God. Read it. Dig into it. Meditate on it. And allow it to sink into your being. So when the devil does come up, you're able to give it to him. Defend yourself with his word. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord, for this amazing analogy, God. Let's stand to our feet and worship God for a few moments. Hallelujah,
1: Lord. This is the end. This is the end. Thank you,
0: Father. Lord, we thank you once again, God, for the gift of salvation, Lord. Thank you, God, that our future is secure in you, God. Lord, and I pray, God, that each one of us, God, Lord, will have a greater desire, God, for your word, Lord, and You create in us a greater desire for your word, Lord. That we will learn to fall in love with your word more and more, God. Give us the strength, God, to discipline our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that as we meditate, Lord, read and meditate on your word, God. That it will come alive in our hearts, God. That as we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we are ready and more than able to fight what the enemy throws at us, God. That we will no longer live lives beaten down, O God, or in hiding, O God, in fear, O God, but with confidence, O God, knowing that you are for us, that nothing can be against us, Lord. That we will use, O God, yield, Lord, this most effective weapon, Lord. That you have given each and every one of us, a oh God. Teach us, Lord, to fall in love with your word. Because your word really is a God. Light and life to our beings, Lord. It's more than enough, church. It's sufficient. It's more than enough. More than anything you will ever need. It gives strength, it brings comfort. you learn to rely on his word it will never let you down yes god we thank you father once again lord we thank you father once again lord thank you lord because we know that we are a god on the victorious side lord we are more than conquerors a god that you have called us, a uh, God to victorious living. Thank you, Father, once again, a uh, God. We pray, a uh, God. I pray, a uh, God, that this word will just find root, a uh, God. Take root in our hearts, uh, God. Thank you, Father, once again, Lord. We just commit ourselves into Your hand, a uh, God, and commit ourselves, a uh, God, to Your word once again. Thank you, Jesus, because You're good, and You're so good all the time. We give you praise, O God, and we give you glory, O Lord, for you alone deserve it all. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen.